Here's how insulin shuts down fat burning and why it doesn't matter for weight loss. Ketogenic diet has neurological benefits. Why do we have to eat such an enormous amount of food? Complex science, clear explanations. Class is starting now. I'm Dr. Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com, and you're watching Masterclass with Masterjohn. We're now in our 25th in a series of lessons on the system of energy metabolism. And today we're looking at how insulin shuts down fat burning. But just as we saw in lessons 21 and 22, burning carbohydrate for energy and burning fat for energy are both primarily governed by the need of the cell for energy. And just as we saw in lesson 24, insulin stimulates carbohydrate burning, but only to the degree that the cell judges that it does indeed need to burn carbohydrate for energy. Similarly, today we're gonna to look at how insulin does indeed shut down fat burning, but again, only to the extent that the cell judges that it doesn't need any more energy from fat. And when we are able to tie this all together in the next lesson, we'll see why insulin really isn't the primary governor of whether you store fat or burn more energy. It's really helping you decide what to do with different sources of energy. And the ultimate governor of your energy balance is energy coming in and energy going out. Shown in the slide is the primary transport route of fat after a meal that we first introduced in lesson 23 when we were talking about insulin secretion. The fat comes from the small intestine and travels through the thoracic duct, which is part of the lymphatic system. Then it reaches the inferior vena cava, which is a vein that brings the fat to the heart. From the heart, it travels through the aorta and to various arteries, that will bring it to many other organs in addition to adipose tissue and skeletal muscle. In lesson 23, we introduced lipoprotein lipase, or LPL, the enzyme that is primarily responsible for taking up fat into a tissue that needs it after a meal. Insulin increases lipoprotein lipase at adipose tissue, but it suppresses LPL at heart and skeletal muscle. That means that insulin favors fat going to adipose tissue instead of going to heart and skeletal muscle. In addition to lipoprotein lipase, or LPL, there's also another lipase that's important in the response to insulin, which is hormone-sensitive lipase, or HSL. These are shown on the screen side by side so we can compare and contrast their function. As we introduced in lesson 23, LPL is produced by a cell that wants to take up fatty acids from chylomicrons, which are the spherical particles that carry fats from our small intestine 
through the lymphatic system into the circulatory system after a meal. And LPL is primarily expressed in adipose tissue, heart muscle, and skeletal muscle, but it's expressed to lesser degrees in many other tissues. The LPL-producing cell needs to secrete the LPL so it leaves the cell and binds to capillary endothelial cells. Capillaries are the smallest blood vessels that directly nourish the tissue, and the endothelial cells are the cells that make up the lining of that blood vessel. Together, the endothelial cells make the endothelium, which is the inner lining of the blood vessel in direct contact with the blood. The space that the blood travels through is called the lumen, in this case, the capillary lumen, and that's where the chylomicrons are. The LPL becomes embedded in the endothelial cell membrane and digests chylomicrons so that they release triglycerides that LPL digests into glycerol and fatty acids. As triglycerides are hydrolyzed by LPL to glycerol and fatty acids, the chylomicron is digested to a chylomicron remnant that's later taken up by the liver. In the meantime, the glycerol and fatty acids go from the capillaries to the original cell that produced the LPL so that it can be nourished. Meanwhile, inside cells, the stored triglycerides that that cell has in its own reserves can be broken down into glycerol and fatty acids to be used for energy by hormone-sensitive lipase. Unlike LPL, HSL resides inside the cell that needs the fatty acids. Whereas LPL is helping fats get into the cells, HSL is helping break down stored triglycerides for the immediate use of those fatty acids and glycerol for energy to produce ATP by that cell. Or, in the case of adipose tissue, possibly to release fatty acids into the blood. Now, between these two steps, there are a variety of acyl transferases that are responsible for taking glycerol and joining it to the fatty acids to make a triglyceride. So you could have, for example, a cell that takes triglycerides from chylomicrons by taking the glycerol and fatty acids, taking it into the cell, then using acyl transferases not shown here to synthesize a triglyceride. And then when it needs to burn that triglyceride for energy, it breaks it down with HSL to release glycerol and fatty acids and burn them for energy. Or again, in the case of adipose tissue, to release them into the blood. Overwhelmingly, HSL is primarily expressed in adipose tissue. There is HSL expression in many other tissues, and those include the heart and skeletal muscle. But unlike LPL, where adipose, heart, and skeletal muscle are the main expressors of LPL and other tissues are minor, adipose tissue is the main expressor of HSL and other tissues, including heart and skeletal muscle, are minor. Furthermore, HSL is primarily regulated by insulin in adipose tissue, whereas in heart and skeletal muscle, it's primarily regulated by catecholamines such as your adrenal hormones that signal the stress response and the need to mobilize energy, or by muscular contraction, which itself is gonna directly require energy. 
Muscular contraction and catecholamines stimulate the expression of HSL and in heart and skeletal muscle, and that's so those tissues can take their stored fats and burn them for energy for the immediate use by those tissues. By contrast, insulin is the primary regulator of HSL and adipose tissue. It doesn't stimulate it, it suppresses it. And suppressing HSL at adipose tissue prevents adipose tissue from using HSL to release its triglycerides as glycerol and fatty acids that can leave adipose tissue and go into the rest of the bloodstream. So the net effect of insulin is that insulin suppresses LPL in heart. Remember that the fat first goes into the heart before it can go into the aorta and reach other tissues such as adipose tissue and skeletal muscle. So suppressing LPL at heart is very important because it's heart tissue that has the first dibs on fat as it comes through if the heart needs that energy. Insulin suppresses heart LPL, making the fat available to adipose or skeletal muscle. However, insulin suppresses LPL at skeletal muscle and it increases LPL at adipose tissue. If it only increased LPL and it didn't do anything to HSL, it could create a cycle where adipose LPL is hydrolyzing triglycerides to release glycerol and fatty acids. And instead of being stored as energy in adipose tissue, it just gets released again through HSL to go into the rest of the blood. So insulin increases LPL and suppresses HSL at adipose tissue, which favors net retention of fat in the adipose tissue as triglycerides. The control of LPL and HSL by insulin is primarily going to reflect the is primarily going to drive the distribution of fat to different tissues after a meal. And that's looking at this in the context of anatomy and physiology. If we go down into the level of biochemistry and molecular and cellular biology, all the things happening inside the cell, Again, insulin shuts down fat burning. But insulin shuts down fat burning at the cellular level in a way that we already know is also regulated by energy status. As shown on the screen, the primary way that insulin suppresses fat burning inside the cell is that it takes AMPK and stimulates its phosphorylation. When you phosphorylate AMPK, you put it in an inactive state. So at the cellular level, AMPK itself is integrating information from insulin about what's happening at the whole body level with ATP and AMP about the local cellular needs for energy. Insulin inhibits AMPK through phosphorylation. ATP has a small inhibitory effect of AM on AMPK allosterically. AMP has a large stimulatory effect on AMPK allosterically. Together, this means that AMPK can be more or less active depending on the inhibitory effect of insulin communicating what's going on in the body together with the stimulatory effect of low energy status inside the cell, which contradicts insulin, or the inhibitory effect of high energy status inside the cell which synergizes with insulin to inhibit AMPK. 
In lesson 22, we saw that fat burning at the cellular level is primarily controlled by acetyl-CoA carboxylase. Acetyl-CoA carboxylase produces malonyl-CoA in the cytosol, which is the entry point of acetyl-CoA into fatty acid synthesis. And it also produces malonyl-CoA in the mitochondrion, which shuts down fat burning. We saw that acetyl-CoA carboxylase is regulated in two ways. AMPK leads to its phosphorylation, which inactivates it. But this inactivates the individual subunit of acetyl-CoA carboxylase. Acetyl-CoA carboxylase in its resting state is present as a dimer, meaning two subunits attached. These dimers are primarily inactive regardless of their phosphorylation state. It is citrate that causes the dimers to form active polymers. The active polymers are somewhat active even when phosphorylated, but they're mostly active when all the subunits are in the unphosphorylated state. So what we see here is that, first of all, insulin is acting on AMPK to inhibit it. But the level of ATP and AMP are communicating with AMPK the cellular energy status. So even this effect of AMPK is simply taking one piece of information from insulin despite being predominantly regulated by the cellular energy status. But most importantly, you're not gonna get much acetyl-CoA carboxylase activity unless you have accumulation of citrate to drive the inactive dimers into the active polymers. So that means the overwhelming regulation of acetyl-CoA carboxylase is by the energy status of the cell because citrate accumulates under conditions of high energy status. And insulin is playing only a partial role in regulating part of acetyl-CoA carboxylase activity. And as we saw in lesson 22, the production of mitochondrial malonyl-CoA by acetyl-CoA carboxylase is what inhibits fatty acids entry into the mitochondrion by inhibiting carnitine palmitoyl transferase 1, or CPT1. So the picture that's starting to emerge is one where insulin promotes carbohydrate oxidation and promotes the storage of fat in adipose tissue and shuts down cellular fat burning in roughly the same proportions, all of which are also governed fundamentally by cellular energy balance in a way that can override the decisions of a cell to listen to insulin in any given context, depending on that cell's needs and abilities. So what is the net effect of insulin? In the next lesson, we're gonna integrate what we've learned in the last five lessons to see whether it's really insulin that's in control of whether you store fat or burn fat, or whether it's primarily about from a biochemical, anatomy, physiological, molecular, cellular perspective, whether it's primarily about your energy balance. The audio of this lesson was generously enhanced and post-processed by Bob Devodian of Torian Mixing, giving you strong sound and dependable quality. You can find more of his work at torianonlinemixing.com. To continue watching these lessons, you can find them on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash chrismasterjohn. 
or on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash chrismasterjohn. Or you can sign up for MWM Pro to get early access to content, enhanced keyword searching, self-pacing tools, downloadable audio and transcripts, a richer array of further reading suggestions through hyperlinked materials that make them really easy to access, and a community with a forum for each lesson. If you want to own these lessons, study them, and get the most out of them, you can sign up for MWM Pro at chrismasterjohnphd.com pro. All right, I hope you found this useful. Signing off, this is Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com. You've, you've been watching Masterclass with Masterjohn, and I will see you in the next lesson.